Father, I, I would pray that you would help us to, to cherish your word. As the psalmist says, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Um, Father, I pray that we would love your laws. We have been working through it the past several months. God, help us to meditate on it, to, to know it. It is powerful. It is able to convert the soul. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with me now. Be with us as we hear the word of God. May you, God, convict us where we need to be convicted. May you comfort us where we need to be comforted. May you encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, in may in every way we, we point to Christ and think of him and him crucified, which is our, our only hope. As we sang, in Christ alone is all my hope which is found. So help us, O Lord, this morning to find all of our hope and all of our trust in Christ Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, as the light dawned, April 30th, 1789. Think about April 30th, 1789. Uh, Dawn was just coming. A small crowd began to assemble and gather around George Washington's home. And by noon, the the crowd was getting quite large, and uh, George Washington left his home in New York, where he lived, and he joined the crowd on a short walk to Federal Hall in New York City. George Washington was dressed that way in an all-American-made dark brown suit with white silk stockings and silver shoe buckles. He also wore a steel-hilted sword and a dark red overcoat as he walked to Federal Hall. And upon his arrival, he was formally introduced to the House and Senate, which met there at the hall, and he proceeded up the stairs then to the second-story balcony, which looked out upon this throng of people who'd gathered in the streets below. And with him on the balcony was the Chancellor of New York, Robert Livingston, who administered the presidential oath of office. And when Livingston finished administering the oath, he turned to the crowd and shouted for all to hear, Long live George Washington, President of the United States! Followed by cheers. And then a 13-gun salute. One gun for each of the original 13 colonies. It was a great day in American history. Probably didn't know much about that day. But I don't think the, the grandeur of that day was lost on all who witnessed the event. Thirteen years earlier, 1776, the United States had declared their independence from Great Britain. And for seven long years, they fought a, a bloody battle against the British. And when the war was over and thus established peace, they still had a ways to go. In order, they had to establish a constitution. Congress and House then had to be selected and elected and and a president needed to be elected and installed. And it took six years for that to come to pass. But George Washington, six years later, April 30th, 1789, became the first president of the United States. It's a great, great event. And the magnitude and importance of that event is similar to what we have this morning in our text, Leviticus 8, where we see the the first priests installed in the nation of Israel. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 8. For the past few months, we have been looking at this difficult and 
crucial book of the Bible. We have taken five weeks and we took some time off and then we took a couple weeks and then we took some time off in our Christmas hymns. We come back to it this week and next week as well. Um, And then we'll take another break and then we'll come back at it again. But the first seven chapters of Leviticus... God has been, Moses has been describing the process of the the five core sacrifices. Who can name the five sacrifices of Leviticus 1 through 5? Who can name them? I know some of the kids can. Can you do it? Ryan, go ahead. Oh, you can? Okay, Ruthie, go ahead. You said that. Close. Who can say them in order? Not not Krissa, and not Stephanie, because she knows. Anyone else? Okay, yes, Andrew, can you do it? That's right. Bernie Grains pacifies Cindy's guilt. You remember that story? Is that what you're doing? Go through that story, right? Of the Bernie Grains, the farmer, calming, pacifying Cindy's little pig, right? Bernie Grains pacifies Cindy. Bernie Grains, you're right, Thatcher. Exactly right. Talking about those five sacrifices, the first five chapters are devoted to those sacrifices, more or less. And then six and seven focus on the same sacrifice again, but from the priest's perspective. The first five are from the worshiper's perspective, and then you have the, the priest's perspective. But now in chapter eight, attention shifts from the sacrifice themselves to the priests. In fact, we're going to see the first priests installed. Aaron and his four sons. And in this whole process, there's really one lesson we need to learn is this, is we need a pure priest. We need a pure priest because the entire ordination ceremony is all about purifying Aaron and his sons and bringing them pure before the Lord, before the people. So the United States, when it began, we didn't necessarily need a pure leader. Oh, it helps us men, us men live with integrity Because you need integrity in order to lead. If you don't have integrity to lead, you won't be a a good leader. But we just needed a competent leader. One that was elected. And we need a leader committed to the task. And that's why George Washington was installed with an oath. But with a priest, it's different. A priest is going to bring us to God. And to bring us to our thrice holy, holy, holy God, we need a pure priest. And so with the ordination of Aaron and his sons, we don't see the emphasis upon the oath that they fulfill. Rather, we see the emphasis upon the washings and the sacrifices and the special clothes that they wear and the oil that anoints them as prepares them. It's all to picture purity. The, the title of my message this morning is, We Need a Pure Priest. So things change here in chapter 8. Focusing on the priest. There's also another change here in chapter 8. For the first time in the book of Leviticus, we're going to have some narrative. That is, it's a, it's a story that's taking place. It's not merely Moses through the Lord, the Lord through Moses telling Israel what to do. But it's going to be like, like history telling of, of what people actually did. In fact, chapters 8 through 10 are the only narrative in the book of Leviticus. The rest of it are our laws and instructions and rules and regulations. So I just say this, enjoy the narrative. Um, I'm especially excited for next week. 
chapters 9 and chapter 10 especially as we deal with the, the first priests and their sacrifices. But this week we're in chapter 8 and then we'll get there next week. Enjoy the narrative. Here we go. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Here we see the preparation being made for the ordination ceremony. Moses was to bring Aaron and his sons. He was to bring the priestly garments and the anointing oil. He was to bring three animals, a bull and and two rams. He was to bring a a basket of unleavened bread. And Moses was to bring and assemble the entire congregation there at the tent of meeting. At at this point, I thought a picture might be helpful. And so here's everything. Adrian, if we can just push that. Here's, Here's everything that they needed to bring. We have... Aaron and his four sons, the clothing, the oil, the animals, and the bread. Let's just, let's just think about it. Upper, upper left-hand corner. Aaron had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. We'll learn about them a little bit more next week. These were the five men to be ordained on that day. Aaron kind of stands out. You can see him right there in the front. And then the four are, are his sons back there. They're all ordained that day. You'll see the garments that uh, would have been brought. You can read about them in Exodus 28. Exodus 39, I think, also speaks about them as well. There's a, there's a white tunic undergarment. You can see it there with the, the long sleeves. And then you can see even the, the robe that we placed over the tunic and, and the sash that's around the waist and the breast piece that would, would go on top of the robe and the turban that we placed on the head of the high priest. And next to the garments... You can see there the anointing oil. I just grabbed some oil and kind of it's going to be poured out. In Exodus 30, verse 23 through 24, you can find out the ingredients of this oil. I thought initially this was just olive oil, but it's not. It's, it's, it's some ingredients it's made also of myrrh and cinnamon and some aromatic cane, whatever that is, and cassia, whatever that is, and olive oil. And so it's a sweet-smelling oil that's going to be poured on Aaron's head during the ceremony and also sprinkled on Aaron's clothes and the clothes of his sons later. We'll, we'll see that. And they see the animals. There are three, three animals. There's a, a bull for the sin offering. There's a ram for a burnt offering. And another ram for an ordination offering, which is like a special offering that was to be offered. And then you have the, the basket of unleavened bread. And if you remember from uh, Leviticus chapter 2, which has the grain offering, uh, you know that the ingredients made those um, unleavened uh, little, little pancakes, if you will, was just flour, oil, and salt. And that was given as a food offering to the Lord. All these things Moses had to assemble together. You can see them listed right there in verse 2. Except in verse 3, talking about assembling the whole congregation. Now, I didn't, didn't get a picture of that, but you just think about here it is, the initialization of this, the priest, and all the assembly of the congregation was, was gathered. Now, that's like a million people, two million people perhaps at this time. And the, the whole size of the tabernacle is pretty small. There's no way everybody could get there. But there probably was this big throng and crowd of people all watching. Remember, George Washington was installed, crowd below the balcony. So it would have been here, just packed with people, getting around to see whatever they could as these priests are installed 
because it was a crucial time in the life of Israel's history. Now, exactly when this was, Israel's history began as they left Egypt. You can read about that. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 speaks about that's the first month for you when they left Egypt. And then by the time you get to Numbers chapter 1, you're in the second year. So this may be somewhere nine months, ten months in uh, when they finally had got all the instructions from Moses. He was up on the mountain for 40 days, come down. They started to wander a little bit. And then also they had to build the tabernacle and had to build everything. And now everything is set in place with a priest installed. Maybe it's a year. We're not exactly sure when this took place, but it was from the the start of the country until kind of establishing things and getting everything in place. It's when it was. Now, when everything was prepared and all the people assembled, we read in verse 5 that Moses said to the congregation, this is a thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. Moses was referring back to Exodus 29. In fact, if you read Exodus 29 and Leviticus chapter 8, you'll see that Exodus 29 is much like Leviticus in terms of it just says what Aaron should, what Moses should do and what Aaron should do and what Aaron's son should do. And here in Leviticus 8, we see actually that being carried out and being done. Um, and you can see that, that Moses said that God commanded that this be done. Uh, one of the emphasis here in Leviticus chapter 8 is on the repeated a statement that, that they did everything as the Lord commanded. I mean, look down at verse 9 at the end. They did everything as the Lord commanded Moses. <clears throat> look at verse 13. They did all these things as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 17. They did these things as the Lord commanded Moses. In the end of verse 21. They did these things as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 29. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 34, this has been done today as the Lord commanded to be done. Verse 36, and Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. This was, this was a divine ceremony that was set up. It wasn't something that Moses thought about. He said, hey, let's, let's just have this. Let's just do this. This was God's ceremony that he wanted done, explained in Exodus 29, and executed in Leviticus chapter 8. All right. The first thing we see here is washing. Verse 6. Let's just look at washing. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. This is a symbolic cleansing. Obviously, it was a sign that Aaron and his sons needed cleansing. I mean, of course, think about Aaron. The last time Aaron appeared on the scene was in Exodus chapter 32. And you remember what happened in Exodus chapter 32 is Moses was up on the mountain and he delayed for some time. And Israel was was getting anxious because their, their leader was gone. And so Israel approached Aaron and they said, Exodus chapter 32, verse one, up, go up and make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. He's gone, so make us some gods, Aaron. And so rather than rebuking Israel and rather than saying, no, 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 we need to serve the one true God. And he tells us not to make any idols, right? We're not to worship any graven image. That was the Ten Commandments given in Exodus 20. This was Exodus 32. They already knew about that. But rather than protesting and correcting them, Aaron succumbed to the pressure. He gathered gold from the congregation, took earrings and finger rings and put them all together, melted them together, and he himself fashioned a golden calf and then led Israel in idolatry, saying, This is your God, O Israel, 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, it's one thing to be involved in sin. It's another thing to lead people in that sin. Remember, even Jesus talked about stumbling blocks. Woe to him who has caused one of these little ones to stumble. It'd be better for him than if a millstone's tied around his neck and he's thrown into the sea. Because there's one thing about sinning, which is bad and wrong, but there's another thing about leading people into sin. And that's exactly what Aaron was doing. He knew better. And he brought people into sin. And God was ready to destroy Israel on the spot, but it was only because Moses implored the Lord to stay his hand that God didn't destroy Israel. And he went back and said, Remember, remember the covenant you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, and God, if you destroy us, won't we be a laughingstock forever to Egypt? So for the fame of your name, God, keep us and preserve us. Don't destroy us. And by, by God's grace... He relented. He didn't destroy Israel. And by God's grace, the chief perpetrator of idolatry becomes the first high priest. That's grace. That is is amazing grace. I think about the parallel between Aaron and Peter. Peter was like the, the chief disciple. So Aaron was the, the chief spokesman. Go in, to, go in with Pharaoh. It was, it was Moses and Aaron. And Aaron was the one primarily who spoke to Pharaoh. And, and saw all these things, was right there in the inner circle. And so likewise, Peter was in the inner circle and saw all these miracles that Jesus did. And yet he failed the Lord greatly as well. After pledging and promising, uh, even if I die, I'll, I'll go with you to death. And then to a little slave girl, he denied him several times. But he too was restored of the Lord. And he became a leader in the church, eventually died. And we need to realize that if anything this washing is teaching us is that, that God is, is gracious and will restore people, will cleanse people of their sins. Is that not the message of the, of the Gospel that we need to be cleansed? And, and we are cleansed with the blood of Christ. And this washing of Aaron was merely a, a symbol that, that he was indeed cleansed. And so likewise, that we need to be cleansed. Aaron was ready to serve as priests and, and we too are ready to serve Him with all of our hearts for all of our lives. See, so washes us through the blood of Christ. Well, now we see the washing in verse 6, but verses 7 through 9, we see the dressing. Not salad dressing, but clothes to be put on. Garments, if you will. <clears throat> and Moses put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him and in the breastpiece he put the urim and the thummim and he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Here we got Aaron, by the way, uh, not not his sons. It was it was Aaron. Verse seven. You can see the singular. He washed them in verse six, but he put the coat on him. This is that that Aaron, <clears throat> the high priest, was clothed a bit differently than his sons were. Because Aaron's a high priest, he's the one that received the the special clothes. He was instructed in Exodus twenty nine that the sons would receive a a coat or a tunic and a sash and a cap, but Aaron was to receive these other things, the outer robe and the ephod and the breastpiece and the turban. And, and, and I think 
Some is that this is this is his uniform that he would wear when when people wear a uniform, they are set apart for the duty that they're called to. So you run into a policeman and you can tell he's got his badge on. He's got his pistol in his pocket shown. He's got a big whatever, a, a cane here, a rod here that he can beat people with. And you can see that uh, you respect him. He's in a position or a fireman or somebody in authority. And this was the uniform of the high priest. And he was the one, by the way, the reason why he's. He's made differently than the other high priest is because the other priest is because he's a special one. When we get to chapter 16, we'll see about the Day of Atonement. He's the only one who goes into the Holy of Holies once a year <clears throat> to make atonement excuse me, <clears throat> for the people of Israel. But for now, I simply need to see the priests are clothed with special clothes. Yeah, I, I got a picture here about what they might look like. And um, those guys look a lot like Osama bin Laden, I think, but <clears throat> pardon us on, on that. But you remember, they are they're from the Middle East, so that's just kind of how they're dressed. We don't know if they look exactly like that, but here's Aaron, and he's dressed like this. He's older than his sons. Uh, his sons have the three, the, the tunic and the sash and the cap, but he's got the tunic and he's got the, the robe and the breast piece and the, the sash and the special turban, the gold in the front. And you can see the breast piece there with 12 colorful stones on his breast, three across and four down. Each of these stones are different kinds. Not that you can remember this. I didn't know this, but just to give you an idea of these, each of those are stones. They're, they're jewels. Top row, sardius, topaz, and carbuncle. Second row, emerald, sapphire, and diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper stones. In Exodus 28-21, we're told that these stones had the names of the tribes of Israel engraved on them. Twelve stones, twelve tribes, twelve names. And if anything, they're to represent how close the people of Israel are to the high priest. They're on his breast pace. And so... And so as he goes in to offer at least that once a year sacrifice, it's, it's as if Israel is with him when he goes and he offers that sacrifice. And, and by way of application, I, I just think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, he is our great high priest. As we read in uh, Hebrews 5, what Darren read for us. And, and think about how he pleads the Father on our behalf. And as he does, are we not dear to him? That song we sang about, uh, I have a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. The great high priest of this throne, Jesus has, if you will, our name on his chest. We are special and precious to him. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, our great high priest sympathizes with us. It's as if we are with him. And when he, when he pleads for God, he... Our names come to his mind. Our circumstance in life come to mind. Just as Israel was right with the high priest as he went in there with that breast piece. Now, hidden in that breast piece, I'm not sure, woven in the clothing or maybe in a pocket behind it, was this Urim and the Thummim, as it speaks about here in verse 8. Now, there's mystery surrounding what exactly this is. It's not pictured there because it's, it's kind of within that breast piece somehow. It's only mentioned less than ten times in the Bible. Um, but somehow with these, 
trinkets or whatever, dice kind of things, the high priest could discern the will of the Lord on difficult questions. So right, when, when, when someone's trying to discern the will of the Lord, they got it to the high priest. He could use this Urim and Thummim to, to discern uh, what God was intending for the people. Just a little little side note. I just wanted to mention that. We're not going to get into that very much now. But, but there it is. The breast piece bringing Israel in with the high priest when he sacrifices. All right, well, let's continue on. Washing, dressing, and now anointing. Verse 10. <clears throat> then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times. And he anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. <clears throat> and Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded. Now, so you see in verse 13, that's still part of the dressing um, Aaron's sons received their, their coats and the, the sashes around their waists and the caps on them. But here we're talking verses 10, 11, and 12 about the, the anointing. And uh, you, you see even that he anoints the, the, the tabernacle. He anoints the altar seven times with this oil and, and all its utensils, its base and its stand. But he also, probably more importantly, anointed Aaron's head. One man pictured the event uh, like this. <clears throat> and just, just look at the look at the detail we've got here. We got Moses pouring oil upon the high priest. That would be Aaron who's taken his 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 turban off. You got a couple of Aaron's sons back here. You've got a crowd of people lining the wall of the tabernacle. You've got the, the burnt the uh, the burnt offering, the altar here. You've got the bronze labor there. And then you have the tent of meeting in the background. Just all, all the detail is there. We don't know if this is exactly how it was, but you can picture this oil being poured out upon Aaron's head. <clears throat> Somehow you have Moses either with his hand, massaging it, rubbing it in, anointing it, uh, just, just whatever. But it's a very special and memorable occasion for Israel. Uh, in fact... David would write some 400 years later, reflecting back upon this very event, and would say in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. There the Lord commanded the blessing life forever. David is remembering this special moment when the oil was upon Aaron's head and it was, it was running down onto the edge of his, his robes and just kind of bleeding over his, his beard and running down. And he says, oh, what a pleasant memory that is. How good and how sweet that day is or was. And just think about when George Washington was inaugurated. All the people there. What a great day this was. And, and even um, <clears throat> Mr. Livingston who, who cried out, Long live George Washington, the first president of the United States. It was just a, a time of excitement, a time of great unity. It's, it's all Israel's together. They're really excited. 
And so it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's so precious. It's so wonderful. Or, or the dew of Hermon, the snow-capped mountains in Hermon coming down with water and, and, and nourishing us and giving us green and giving us food, giving us drink. That's the anointing oil. And in those days, anointing with oil is much more pleasant than we might think today. Because we have easy access to showers and water. Back then, when they had to take all their water out of, of a well, they didn't bathe and shower too often. And so they didn't particularly smell really nice all the time. So to have this, this aromatic oil, that's there, it's like, like perfume. It's going to make Aaron smell nice. But beyond the smell, there, this oil had some significance here, though, because it was, it was a sanctifying Oil. I mean, and notice how in verse 11, he, he pours the oil on the, on the altar and the stencils and the basin and the stand. It was, as he says in the end of verse 11, to consecrate them. That is to sanctify them. That is to set them apart. This was a special ritual to, to help set these things apart. Now, and I, I can't help but to think of the precious scene in the Gospels when Jesus is there in the last night, which he was about to be betrayed. And... Uh, actually maybe a couple nights before, where Mary came up with the alabaster flask of expensive ointment and she poured it on the head of Jesus, poured it on His feet, covered Him, surrounded Him with this oil. And Jesus said, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And so likewise, in the same way, as Moses poured this oil upon the altar, Upon the head of Aaron, it was to initiate, it was to consecrate, it was to set apart, to set up these people, these utensils, prepare them for service. You know, like today when we christen a ship, there's a bottle of champagne that's running, it's smashed against the, the boat. This is a similar thing. It's, it's like inaugurating and just beginning to say, these men are prepared for ministry. As you think about the Lord Jesus, He was anointed with oil, preparing for the ministry, the ministry of what? The ministry of death. So He might die on the cross for our sins. Well, that's the anointing. We've seen washing, dressing, anointing, and now we see sacrificing. Because certainly an inauguration ceremony in Leviticus can't go without some animals losing their lives. And, and right here, I hope you see the benefit of having gone through the first five chapters of Leviticus where you, you know about the burnt offering that everything's consumed. You know about the grain offering and the, the, um, how a portion is given to the Lord and the others are, are given to the priests and the priest offering, the sin and the guilt offering. You know a little bit about these. And so when we see in verse 14 that it's the bull of the sin offering being slaughtered, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I, I remember some of that. Or if you don't, you go back to Leviticus 4 and you can read a little bit about it. But he, he brought, verse 14, he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering and he killed it. And Moses took the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and stung, he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. That's exactly how the sin offering is supposed to go. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 4. Now, again, I, I found another picture of this event. 
Now, pardon the blurriness of this picture. It was really small and I, I blew it up. But, but you've got the bull. And yet Aaron and his four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, laying their hands upon the head of the bull. As if to say, this bull is me. Knowing full well the bull would die instead of them in their place. It's a great picture of of uh, the sacrifice of Christ, right? That, that, that Christ died for us in our place. And here's a picture of substitution that, that they knew. And this was for, if you look again, this is for the sin offering. Now again, Aaron and his sons were acknowledging their need for sinners, acknowledging their need for cleansing, they're acknowledging their need for atonement to have their sin Forgiven, and, and I can't help but to think of the contrast here between the priests who need forgiveness and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so different. Hebrews seven, twenty-six through twenty-eight. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, Jesus, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son, having been made perfect forever. Jesus is our perfect high priest. He is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He is, he is so different from us. He is, he is different than Aaron and his sons who had to have their sins atoned for by this bull. Jesus had no need for sacrifice to be offered on his behalf like these priests did. He was a son made perfect forever, unlike Aaron's sons who need to be cleansed through sacrifice on this day, who would need further sacrifices in future days. Just speaks to, to the glories of Jesus. I mean, these, these men need cleansing. Jesus didn't need cleansing because he was pure. But we need a pure priest and we have our pure priest who is Christ. And it was not just this sacrifice that they needed. They needed several others. Verses 14 through 17 mention the, the sin offering. And then verses 18 through 21 mention the burnt offering. Let's just go through it quickly. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons, again, laid their hands on the head of the ram. Now, I don't have a picture of that, but you can picture again. <clears throat> they'd just seen the bull die for their sins. And now for the burnt offering, they're going to lay their hands upon this ram and they too are going to see that die for their sins. It says verse 19, and he killed it exactly like uh, chapter 1 talks about. It's not the priest who kills these animals. It's the worshiper who engages himself, who kills the animal. And Moses then threw the blood against the sides of the altar, just like they did for the burnt offering. He cut the ram into pieces and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. The whole thing was burned. He washed the entrails and the leg with water and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And this is exactly what the burnt offering was. Everything consumed, all given to God. Then beginning of verse 22, we see this special ordination offering. Again, you take that second ram. And this offering isn't one of those special five offerings. This is, a, this is a special offering, something different. And he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. This is a special offering, only done this time. You know, as I think about it, it may have been done at other times whenever priests were ordained. 
probably. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. The third time they did. And he killed it. And Moses took some of the blood, put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Totally different. Okay, this is ordination offering. This isn't anything we've seen before. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of the right ears, and on the thumbs of the right hands, on the big toes of the right feet, and Moses threw the blood against the side of the altar. So we see the ram of ordination, but this ram is is different. Normally the blood is just thrown on the side of the altar, but this time it's applied to the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. I'm calling this one consecrating, verses 23 and 24. It's just, just this offering of ordination is, is a little bit different. It, and it, it, it seems strange exactly what happened. Here, here's a picture to help you out. So we got Aaron, we got three of his sons, we got Moses, and he's, look, look at how bloody his, his hand is. That came from a ram, right? They slit its throat and start collecting all this blood. It's splashing up all over the place. He takes some with his left hand, probably puts it on the on the earlobe. And he puts it on his thumb. And he stoops down and puts it on his big toe. He wore sandals back then, so he didn't have to take off his shoe. He just right there on his big toe. All all bloody. So you you think about that. Normally the blood is just sprinkled out on the altar and poured out of the base of the altar, but right right here's different. It's it's being applied directly to the to the priest. And you say, So what what does that mean? What what is that about? Well, I said consecration, setting them apart. It might also be a, a confirmation. I thought about naming this point confirming. is a, a con- confirming their, their call as priests. So somehow they, they physically, in a very vivid way, this sacrifice, this blood, was brought right to the priests. As, as this blood was smeared, you see his ear. Right? His ear is going to be covered, covered with blood. That's going to be a mess. And his thumb... Right, you've seen people in the ancient in the in the Middle East whenever they vote, right? They got that purple stuff on their finger that they can't wash off for a couple of days. And eventually, they come out and say, I, "I voted." It's a way to prevent voter fraud. Right, maybe we should try some of that. Might might help, right? And um, but but anyway, it would have been a little bit like that. Blood is difficult to wash off, and on your big toe, you would have had this this blood. And and um, you know, I just thought of, of some application here. It, it could be that. Symbolizing your ear, your, your ear is set apart, confirmed to the Lord that, that you're going to hear the word of God. And your right thumb, you're going to do the word of God. And your right big toe, that you're going to walk in the ways of the Lord. Could be. I'm not sure exactly what this means. But last you think, here, it's, it's just for the priests. Know that in Leviticus 14, four, verse, chapter 14, verse 14, the same ritual is done for a leper who's being cleansed. Here's a leper who was an outcast, cleansing the leper, right earlobe, right thumb, right big toe. And it's like, I think it's a confirming, it's a confirmation of the miracle, that, that they, a confirmation of the cleansing, that now they're free to mix again with the people of God. Which means that the application of this blood for the ordination offering wasn't just for the priests. It was, it was for all who knew the cleansing touch of God upon their lives. So that they could walk rightly. It, it almost, it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like, yes, you've partaken of that. This blood has been poured out. You've put your head upon the, the beast. But now the death even has been applied to your, your ear. And 
And, and I think, what about you? Do you know His forgiveness? Do you know His grace? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to your ear? Has it been applied to your thumb? Has it been applied to your right big toe? Or are, you, are you listening to the Lord? Are you doing what the Lord calls you to do? Are you walking in the ways of the Lord? Praise the Lord that our great high priest did. Let's follow in his steps. All right, well, let's move on. We've seen washing, dressing, anointing, sacrificing, consecrating or confirming. Now we come to offering. And by this, 25 through 29, I I mean a a wave offering. Because a wave offering is mentioned here. It's not one of the five core sacrifices. um, But it is something that's done with the sacrifices. A portion of the burnt offering combined with a portion of the food offering, and it's it's waved before the Lord. So so think with me, if you will, the Fourth of July when you have a sparkler and you you know this thing's going like that. And what are you doing? You're kind of waving it all around, right? Maybe even some a celebration, or maybe during Fourth of July you got something else that's kind of smoking around. You're you're throwing like this. All this smoke is going around all over the place. That's what's taking place here. And and what also we're going to see in 25 through 29 is that Moses starts this thing, pulls it off the altar, gives it to Aaron. Aaron waves it. Then he gives it to his son, Eleazar. He waves it. Ithamar waves it. Nadab waves it. And Abihu wave it. They all were into it. All five of them wave this offering before the Lord. And so the Lord, the aroma, the smoke rose to him. He was pleased with this. So let's read about it here. Verse 25. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on their entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat in their right thigh and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. He was making like this smoky sandwich, if you will. But I'm not sure whether the bread's on the outside or whether the, the bread's on the inside. I can't, can't quite tell. But he's got this smoky sandwich. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his son and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with a burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. You say, what was this about? Again, I don't know. But in some ways, it was an opportunity for the priest to be involved with the sacrifices. It wasn't really Moses doing his thing to Aaron or to his sons or whatever, anointing them or doing this. It was an opportunity for, for them to respond. It was an opportunity for all to be involved. His opportunity, I think, towards the end of the ceremony here to rejoice that God was with them. That's all, all the better I can give you. Let's move on to number seven. We see verse 30, sprinkling. This is interesting. Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his son's garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his son's garments with him. I got another picture to try to try to visualize this. And it looks like Aaron's kind of flicking it. It's like the blood like this. I'm not sure that's how it is. But he's got 
oil, which is not shown here, and he's got blood. And he is sprinkling it on them somehow. So I, I don't know whether he was flicking it or whether he was taking it and shoving it. I, I have no idea. But Aaron and his sons probably all lined up. And Moses, Moses begins to dirty their robes with his oil and begins to dirty their robes with blood from the altar. And soon their, their white uh, tunics are going to be covered and splattered with blood, much like a, a painter's uh, white you know, gear, I don't even know what you call a painter's all, and they're all white and then they're painting and then they get stuff all over them. I think that's what this would have looked like. So it would all covered with with blood. And this point, I could do no better than Nancy Gans. She wrote a, a commentary on Leviticus for children. And here's what she writes. She says, their beautiful robes. Would be stained with the blood. But those spots were an adornment more precious and more beautiful than the bright jewels that sparkled or the gold bells that tinkled on their robes. These blood stains did not spoil, soil their clothes, but cleansed them. The blood stains signified the mercies of Christ and the oil stains signified the graces of His Spirit. Thus, the sacrifice of Christ, the baptism of the Spirit were written in a sort of secret language on the priest's garments. And she, she goes there to, to just compare the oil to the spirit, which I didn't do, but I could have done. But just speaks there. I, I want you to catch this. Even though to us it might look like this, this messy, blood-stained white garment that's polluted, actually it's cleansed. You remember in Revelation chapter 6 speaks about the, the saints who've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And, and here they're cleansed with the blood. They're, they're sanctified and they're washed with the blood. And again, this is a consecrating ritual. It's a, it's a confirming ritual as they were cleansed and forgiven. So as they took on themselves the blood as a, as a sign that they indeed were forgiven because of the, the blood of the animal. And coming before the Lord, they could point, oh, you remember this, God, this is, this is the blood of the animal that was spilled for my sins. And they, they could point to that as their their ticket in some regards, or their, their confirmation before the Lord, like we can point to the blood of Christ. And that's ultimately who this blood appointed to, right? We come before God and we say, it's not that, that, that I've got such righteous life, it's that my, look, my, my garment is covered in the blood of Christ, sprinkled in His blood, and you've promised that those who place their faith in you, it's the blood that washes me clean. The only way it can be seen clean is, this, is if God looks upon the blood of Christ and considers that clean. And that's what he did here. Now regarding this ritual. I'm reminded of what took place. When the law was initially confirmed to the people of Israel. Moses remember was up on the mountain just a brief time. He came back down. Uh, in Exodus 20 through 23. And he reads the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Then begins the first kind of small chunk of the law. And he read that before all the people. To the whole congregation. And they all said all the words the Lord has spoken we will do. And so he took the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled half upon the altar. And then Moses took the blood and all the congregation of Israel and, and he sprinkled them or maybe he just whoosh, threw the blood out. So it went whoosh out and captured and sprinkled upon everybody. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So so. Here's what God requires of you. You say, yes, we will do all of that. Here's the blood, the sacrifice. And we have washed these utensils and we also whoosh, 
washing you in the blood. There's like this, this confirmation, this, this, this joint uh, agreement that, that God has given us what to do. We are called to that. We've sprinkled the blood. It's, it's the sealing of a covenant, really, that's taking place there. And when the writer of the Hebrews comments on this event, he says, For when every commandment of the law had been spoken by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, Indeed, under the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so, the writer of the Hebrews transitions from this blood, which is a confirming thing, but where, where God would accept us to this cleansing thing in which it's the cleansing of blood that there's forgiveness. So these priests were sprinkled with the blood. It's a, it's a sign of their forgiveness. And so also, we need to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ if we would ever know Forgiveness of our sins. Has your soul been sprinkled with the blood of Christ? It's the only way we'll move before God. We'll be before God. All right, let's move on. Eight and nine, and we'll go quickly here. Eating, verses 31 and and 32. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it. And the bread that is in the basket of the ordination offerings I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and blood, he shall burn up with fire. It's typical of the sin offering and the grain offering. And perhaps this ordination offering, which wasn't totally consumed. Maybe what, that's what they're talking about here. Is that Remember, sometimes, for some sacrifices, sin and guilt offering is, is a portion of it is offered to the Lord and a portion of it is kept for the priest to sustain them. And here we see the first priest being able to eat of the animals that were offered. Think about the grain offering. Also, a, a little portion, a memorial portion was offered to the Lord and then they ate the bread. And, and remember what they did? Is they put some on there, they waved some, they burnt that, but they had some of this bread left over. And they began to eat. I, I can't help but to think this was a celebration of thanksgiving that they had offered to the Lord, they had received back their share, and now they were rejoicing in everything that was taking place. They were joined in covenant with the Lord. Uh, Think about inaugurations today. This didn't happen in George Washington's day, but inaugurations today, the president is is installed. Then there's all these balls, these parties, these dancing, um, making merry. And so likewise here, I think this is a part of the the making merry. This is the the covenant feast when when we're right with God as the priests were. It's it's symbolic, kind of close to the the Lord's Supper. And we come and we fellowship with God. We eat his blood, eat his body and drink his blood. It's just kind of remembering our, our sins forgiven, rejoicing in the covenant meal that we can have with God. And I think that's what's taking place here at the end of this ritual. And finally, one last thing we have, verses 33 to 36. Washing, dressing, anointing, sacrificing, consecrating, offering, sprinkling, eating, and finally, waiting. Verse 33, And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For it will take seven days to ordain you. 
as has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all these things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Moses instructs, Aaron and his sons to stay seven days in the tabernacle. And this is really important. Do you know what would have happened? Did you catch that, kids? What would have happened if they would have gone outside the tabernacle? What would have happened? They what? Wouldn't be cleansed? Worse. What would have happened? They what? They would have dropped dead. Look at it. verse 35 at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You shall remain day and night for seven days, perform what the Lord has charged so that you do not die. If you deviate from God's plan, they would drop dead, as Nancy said, they would die. And if you want to hear and read about someone dying, that's next week. And I'm going to make you wait for seven days until Next week to get at that. But I just say, this is one of my, uh, I'm most looking forward to chapter 9 and 10 because it, it, it presents this contrast of the righteous sacrifice and unrighteous sacrifice and God strikes two of Aaron's sons dead. They're going to offer up their first offering and sacrifice. And if you look there at chapter 9, verse 1, it says on the eighth day, right? that's seven days later, so it was on the eighth day, probably from Sabbath to Sabbath is when this was. That then that next Sabbath, Aaron begins to offer up his first offering. He offers it up. His sons offer it up. They mess up. Some die. Some are accepted. But you've got to wait seven days. And so as you, as you walk about your week this week, I want you to just imagine staying right there in the tabernacle for seven days. That's what the priests were, were told to do. Aaron and his sons. And how natural for us to wait. I guarantee Next Sunday you will enjoy what the Lord has for us. So let's pray. Father, I pray that You would use these words we think about ordination of priests so long ago. About how, in some regards, um, unrelevant that is to our lives. Just this event, God, some 2,500 years ago, and yet, Lord, I have labored and tried the best of my ability to make it applicable and make it helpful and make it real to us. Would realize that, would pray you'd help us to realize just the, the importance of having our pure priest. We thank you for Jesus, who is our pure and righteous peace, priest, who doesn't need to offer up sacrifices for himself because he offered up himself the perfect, blemished, unblemished, sacrifice for our sins. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would value the blood of Christ, as Peter calls it, the precious blood, which washes and sanctifies and makes holy. Um, Father, so help us even these seven days to think about the whole ordination ceremony, how, how long it took. God, yet you're patient. God, you wait. Just want to make sure that people know and understand. And maybe the priest said to stand there in front of the the tent of meeting so that all could see their blood-stained garments, how they'd gone through that. So anytime throughout the week, these millions of people could stop by and see these priests who were 
preparing for the priesthood. Uh, And I would pray also, God, that if anything that Leviticus teaches us, may it teach us to be holy, to be a, a righteous people, as you called your people Israel to be. So cleanse us through Christ. Give us encouragement to walk in the ways of the Lord and to obey the Lord in all that we have. And Father, I pray also just as we will enjoy a meal together as we do the first Sunday of every month downstairs, our fellowship dinner. God, may it be a sweet time of fellowship. May it be a time of delight and joy, even as the priests enjoyed their meal. God, rejoicing in the covenant that was with you, I pray that we would rejoice in our meal with you as well. Is that you are with us and that you are are one among us. I pray that we would know the blessing of Psalm 133 when brothers dwell in unity. It's like this oil coming down upon Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. God, may we know that delight. May we delight in that unity that we have among us. God, just striving together, seeking to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. So in this, Lord, we we give it to you. We thank you for the food. We thank you for provision. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. Pray you would use it in our hearts and our lives to, to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.